this has been uh, a worship retreat. Uh, it was called uh, Worshiping the Living God. Uh, how do we do? Uh, pop quiz. What is worship? Conse- consecration. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cacophony. No. Somebody really loud. God, God is good. God is big. God is big. I love Jesus. That's a bit of a cop-out, but I will accept it. Let God be God. Making space for God to be big. That's a good one. Not calculating. Thank you. Sacrifice. Yes. Declarations. Yeah, all sorts of expressions of worship. Me small, God big. Huh. Uh-huh. I can't hear that, but... Popsicle? The Krebs cycle. Somebody pray for Carl right now, because there's some kind of trouble back there, and I'm not sure what it is. All, all, all good answers, um, you know. Uh, God big, you know, me small, that's good. You could chisel that on rock. Um, you know, when it, when it comes right down to it, worship is just making a big deal about God, right? And then there are reasons that you do that, of course, uh, so that God can be big uh, in your deals. Um, but it's, it's, it's just that, and uh, it is purposeful, and, and it is fruitful, and that's what I wanted to just remind us uh, this morning uh, before we take off uh, last week I preached a little bit on uh, what good worship is. I mean, what, what does it accomplish uh, to make a big deal about God when we come together in song or art or testimonies or declarations or whatever? Uh, what good does that do? And I think what it does is that <clears throat> it, uh, it organizes life. Worship is the principle by which the universe is organized. And if we exercise it, if we embrace it, then we flow in uh, the power and the purpose that God had intended for our lives and for the universe all along. We, from time to time at, at Blue Water Mission, talk about um, the path of discipleship that we take with God. Uh, I like to talk about what we call the Blue Water Path, which is just stages of development that we tend to go through together. You know, first you're a seeker. Usually you're seeking after truth. You're seeking after God. Uh, is he real? Is he out there? What is he like? And then at a certain point, you become a follower. That's when you choose to make Jesus Lord. He's no longer just a God out there in the universe, but he's become the master of your life. He's become your, uh, your model, your leader. Uh, you become a follower, and the switch from seeker to follower is huge. We sometimes call that conversion. It's often like the biggest change that can come to a life. So that is an enormous deal. If you've been following Jesus for a while, you're going to have to learn about being a servant uh, because life is not about uh, self-orientation. It's about selflessness, selfless love. Uh, The the cardinal principle of of the kingdom of God, of the universe itself, is generosity and love, selfless love, self-sacrifice on behalf of of others. And so we call that learning to be a servant, uh, learning to be uh, small generally in life and to prefer the good of others. Um, If all goes well, at a certain point, you become a worshiper, and that's what we have been exploring uh, in this all-church retreat. Uh, You become one who embraces that God is a really big deal that he's bigger than you, 
Um, now, one would think that you had achieved that by now if you have sought after God and made the Lord the master of your life and learn that life is not all about you, but that really fulfillment and joy comes from giving yourself away to other people in Jesus' name. But worship is, is uh, the exercise, the passionate embrace of making a big deal about those things. Uh, the challenge is that as good as God is, he's more good than we think he is. As big as God is, he's bigger than we think he is. As loving as he is, as powerful he is, he's always bigger. We call that being transcendent. Whatever your categories, whatever your expectations, he's more than that. He's transcendent. And to get a boundless God into our life, well, there's only really one way to do it, and that is just to worship, to stop calculating, to just celebrate, make a big deal, to increase our capacity for flowing in the bigness of God. We've talked a lot about that. That all has a, uh, a blessing for us. It has a, a purpose in life, and in addition to just recognizing the reality that God is huge and transcendent and more than we can conceive um, it makes us bigger and a bit more transcendent in the world. We eventually become a minister, which is to say um, we begin to follow our calling. We are released into the world for our grand purpose. We become world changers at a level, at a degree that is, that is itself transcendent, beyond whatever expectation we would have had, beyond anything that we could reasonably calculate we become kingdom people. Uh, and the outcome of a people becoming a people of worship is going to be a people becoming a people of ministry. Uh, to the degree that we become worshipers, we become world-changing ministers. And I just think it's really important uh, that we not forget that, uh, and indeed we will grow more in worship as we embrace God's transcendence in our ministry. To sum up, worship is the only way to let God be big enough to do what you want him to do in your life. Yes? If you deal with God as if he is overwhelming and transcendent, then you're giving him space to be overwhelming and transcendent in your life. Uh, worship is the way that we practice moving in the proper organization of the universe. God is big. Everything, including us, is under him. If you're not willing to let God be big and superior, why would anything or anyone listen to you when you declare his superior power? Why would knees listen to you when you say, be healed, unless you yourself have recognized God's superiority and power in your own life? Right? The one leads to the other. So... Find ways to make a big deal about God so that God can be really big in your life and in your ministry. That's it. Make a big deal about God. Turn to someone. Remind them. Make a big deal about God. When should you make a big deal about God? All the time. Uh, I wanted to read... Uh, what is perhaps a familiar passage from Acts chapter 1. I'm just going to read uh, several verses, Acts 1, verses 4 through 8. We'll put it up here on the big board. Uh, and this is uh, pretty much the last interaction that Jesus has 
with his disciples before he ascends to heaven. To, uh, heaven. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, this is after he's been resurrected and stuff. Um, once you get resurrected, I'm not sure that you eat healthy anymore because what doesn't matter? So I don't know what they're eating. There's just little things that go through my head as I examine scripture. <laughs> On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Uh, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized. In Greek, the word is doused or soaked. In a few days you'll be doused with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, um, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They didn't quite know what he was talking about when he talked about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, you know, and the gift the Father promised. That sounded rather epic. So they say, so this is like when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel and we're going to be all nationally prominent and stuff like that again. They didn't, they didn't have a clue. He said to them, Hey, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But, let's just focus on this, kiddos. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, And this is the beginning of the age of the Holy Spirit uh, in the world where God's Spirit, his presence and all the power that his presence brings actually became indwelling in people. We used to go to a temple to encounter the presence of the Lord. Now the presence of the Lord indwells us. We become a living temple, the greatest revolution in world history. Uh, And we become, I mean, transcendent, very powerful people as a result of this. I just want to make one point about this story, which is a fairly familiar story, right? If you've been on a Holy Spirit retreat, you know this verse, right? Pretty familiar story. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> I've often wondered about this phrase, baptized or doused in the Holy Spirit. And it's such a, it's such a unique way to talk about uh, the phenomenon. Um, why does he say it that way to his uh, disciples? Previous to this time, they'd been following him around for you know, the better part of three years, doing miracles and stuff like that. It's not as if they had no experience with God's presence and power. Right? They had seen Jesus raise people from the, get, from the dead. They themselves had been directly involved in literally hundreds of healing miracles and deliverances and the loaves and fishes, and Peter had walked on water at least for a while. And, you know, they all of these incredible supernatural experiences that came through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was all performed through the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you remember, Jesus didn't do any miracles until he was filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. So they had... God's presence. They had a certain degree of power. But Jesus pulls them together before he goes and says, essentially, okay, now, don't you dare try to pull off the rest of it. You know, we, we've been ministering in a little backwater in Palestine right now. Boys, we're about to take over the world. Don't try it until you get doused with the Holy Spirit. The implication being, up till now, you've been sprinkled with the Holy Spirit, right? But now you're going to get just doused. That's what the word baptized means. It's, it's a difference of degree, but a big difference of degree. That's essentially the lesson that Jesus was saying. Like You've had a bit, but in a few days, you're going to get something different. You're going to get 
blasted. You're going to get doused. It's going to be overwhelming to you. And maybe you know the rest of the story. Uh, the disciples responded by hanging together uh, in, uh, in, a, in an upper room uh, until uh, Pentecost, and sort of late spring, early summer, probably a hot, stuffy upper room about this size uh, with uh, about this number of people, uh, a little bit fewer. And then the Holy Spirit came and, and indeed overwhelmed them uh, physically and emotionally. Uh, and, uh, you know, and the rest is church history. The first day after the Holy Spirit overwhelmed them, 3,000 people uh, converted. So evangelism started. Boom. Just like that. Uh, one of our early Holy Spirit retreats at Blue Water Mission, we had gone away to a campground and, and we were having uh, the evening session where we pray for everybody to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came in a big way and, and it looked rather dramatic, you know, as often happens. People were overwhelmed with the power of the Spirit and were falling unconscious or speaking in new tongues or I think some people were healed of physical infirmities. There was at least one demonic deliverance. So it was a, a nice little party. And this guy came in. He didn't know if he'd wanted to, wanted to even participate in something this crazy, but he walks into that session. He had skipped the rest of the retreat and then comes in, and his eyes get as big as saucers. And he had been a Christian for a long time, uh, but hadn't really been around the manifest presence of the Spirit very much. And I saw him walk in, and so I sort of sauntered over to him. Hey, and he was just like, what is this? I said, oh, well, you know, so-and-so I think is being healed. Oh, you know, so-and-so, she just got the gift of tongues, and, you know, this guy is overwhelmed emotionally because God is so present. And I'm just sort of explaining. And he was like, this is a little more God than I'm used to. <laughs> and I thought, that might be the most intelligent thing I've ever heard anybody say about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is precisely the point. Uh, this, I think, is why things are organized the way they are. Uh, the, the dousing of the Holy Spirit is more God than you're used to. It, it's a huge jump in degrees. That's the moment in which God becomes overwhelming for you. And Jesus' teaching to the guys here at the opening of the book of Acts was essentially, you need God to be overwhelming for you so that you can be overcoming in the world. Being overwhelmed by God is precisely the preparation for being overcoming in the world. They go together. And Jesus prefaced that teaching as, just wait. Don't even try to take over the world until you have an overwhelming God. Once you have an overwhelming God, you can be an overcoming people. What do you think about that, worshipers? Do you get it? First, you have to be overwhelmed, and then you get to be overcoming. Um, worship is a way in which we practice being overwhelmed, right? God, you're just, you're just beyond words. We can't contain it with words, uh, so we're going to put it in a song. We can't contain it in a song, uh, so we're going to dance with our bodies. We can't contain it uh, in our bodies. We're just going to create because, uh, I don't know, you're so transcendent. It seems like we should create endlessly, you know? Um, you're worth more, so I'm going to give away what I have. You know, it, it's, it's just our attempt to be continuously overwhelmed. 
so that we can be continuously overcoming. I think that is, that's what's going on. So if we're not allowing God to be overwhelming, then we limit his transcendence. Yeah. Be overwhelmed and then be overcoming. I think if we're going to be good worshipers, and indeed if we're going to become good ministers, then we have to take this attitude of worship out into the world. They must go together. If your worship experience is limited to church or to your private times, then God is not overwhelming your life, is he? He's just overwhelming your church time or your private time. What would it look like if God was truly overwhelming in all of your life? What would it be like if you had a worshipful attitude in your office at work or in your classroom at school or on your job site? What would it look like if you allowed God to be overwhelming in those moments? What would you do? Well, you might drop down to your knees and praise or you might turn to your work comrade who has a blown ligament and heal him, right? But... God has to overwhelm. He has to be transcendent all the time if you're going to be who you ought to be. So whatever you experienced here, uh, whatever you've understood about worship, it has to take over your entire existence. Otherwise, by definition, it hasn't overwhelmed you. And if it hasn't overwhelmed you, you will overcome not nearly as much as you should. So the measure of whether or not this worked ultimately won't be a really great uh, worship experience next Sunday. That, that will be encouraging, uh, but that won't be the proper measure. What will the proper measure be? Yeah, it will, it will be the testimonies of how overwhelming God is and all of those other places of life. We will know if we've become successful worshipers, if we become overcoming ministers. You know, that's the measure. Uh, we have to have more stories about healings on the lanai or, uh, you know, conversions uh, in uh, our, our high school mates. Um, right? About carrying the presence of God to the bus stop and having random encounters that are just overwhelming. That's it. That's the measure of success. So if you want to be a worshiper, that's what, that's what you got uh, to do. I have all these stories about airplane rides. You guys ever have this experience? You sit down next to someone in the airplane, and if you're like me, you're always exhausted. And if you're like me, you're really, really introverted. And the one thing you hate is the person that sits down to you and wants to talk. <laughs> hate that experience. Sometimes it is my wife, and... Wow, honey, I have you for five straight hours. Let's, let's talk. Oh, God have mercy. Um, but, you know, stra strangers sit down next to you. And, and, and sometimes when that happens, the stranger just, they, you know, there, there's a certain type of person, if they're sitting next to you for five or six hours, they're compelled to speak to you, right? They're, they just feel that it's rude not to. And uh, extroverts. Um, and so, you know, th this happens all the time. And I realized, you know, after a while, I travel a lot by airplane. Um, and I was just, 
if, if I'm just the slightest bit open on an airplane, I always have amazing conversations. You know, I've had people just break down and weep and ask me to pray for them on, uh, you know, in, in, in seat C. Um, everybody looking. Uh, and yeah, from time to time, I share some of my favorite stories uh, about this. Uh, the, uh, you guys, you remember the story about the mercenary? You know, that one? This guy, he, uh, uh, I, I was taking my seat. I sat down next to him, and this huge hulking guy, he went about, he was like shaved-headed. He went about 265 and just all muscular. And I sat down, and I looked at the magazine he was reading, and the magazine was Combat Handguns. <laughs> and so we always truck up a conversation, and, uh, you know, oh, what? What do you think about the new Beretta? Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I just asked him a few conversations to be polite, you know, deduced that he was, uh, he was a gun for hire. He's one of those guys that goes out to troubled spots in the world and, and makes the problem go away. Um, and, uh, and so we were just talking about places in the world where we had both been, you know, because I've, I've been in some interesting places in a different capacity. Um, <laughs> But he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been there. It's like, oh, I had a little trouble there. I remember, yeah. Well, and, uh, and he said, he said uh, oh, you're a missionary then. So, oh, well, you know, only, only sometimes I'm, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And, and, uh, and of course, that, there, there it goes. Now you've got the conversation, right? And, and uh, it, you know, ends up, he's like, I know, I'm not proud of, of some of the things that I've done. And I'm just sort of ministering in grace and, Power and you know this big hulking guy is like he's just all moved and then the flight lands and he's like I'm out of here um, you know he gets very nervous he takes off and I'm walking to my next flight and I feel like the Holy Spirit says um, no you got it you got to go finish I'm I'm an SFO and uh, or yeah San Francisco on so I I I, I kind of know where he was headed but that's all I know. So I, just, I walk to the other side of the airport, and I'm looking at the thing. Oh, you know, there's a flight to Colorado. Okay, I find the guy at the gate, and I just walk up to him, and I'm not, I'm not subtle. I just I took a knee before him, and I said, look, you know, uh, whatever you've done, I forgive you right now in Jesus' name. You know, today is a new day, and God has better purposes for you. And this big guy just breaks down and weeps there. in the airport, thank you, you know, I needed that. And just have this long conversation. I'm praying for him. You know, the Lord would come to him and stuff like that. And the punchline of the story is that he pulls out his business card and says, if you ever get in trouble. (laughs) I carry that card. (laughs) Rick, it's me. Alpha Bravo. Go red. Go red. Send in the choppers. Um, I was... uh, Years ago, I was, I was flying home from my parents' home uh, in, in Oregon, uh, and uh, it was a sad day for me. Sonia had just miscarried one of our, our babies, and, and it happened while I was out of town, so I was flying back. I see her, and I sit down, and this woman walks in. Uh, it's very, uh, um, very shapely, fit woman, I know, because she's sort of dressed the part, and she's sort of walking up and down the plane, scoping things out, and then she comes and sits by me and scoping me out, you know, and she just basically starts hitting on me. And so we chat. And it turns out that she was a stripper um, from, from Salt Lake City. 
which was interesting to me. <laughs> really? Um, and, uh, you know, we talked for a while, and she was in town because her mother was dying of cancer. And, uh, but she, the stress was too much for her, so she was taking a flight to Las Vegas where she was going to get bombed, hook up with the first uh, eligible guy she could find, and just sort of, you know, get blitzed out and, and forget the, the misery in, in her life. Well, there you go, right? What are you going to do? So I just started ministering to her later, I was talking to her, and uh, she's like, you know, believers are hypocrites, you know, those Mormons, they all come in and slip dollar bills into my G-string and, you know. It's that sort of thing. So that's not Jesus. So I remember I quoted the Beatitudes to her. She starts weeping. She starts breaking down. Prayed for her there. Uh, gave her um, reference to uh, a church uh, in Salt Lake City. I don't know how I knew it was there, but I did. And, um, and she's like, if Jesus is really like what you say, then I'll follow him and you know, stuff like that. Um, which uh, came out of a stripper hitting on me. Uh, on an airplane. I've got more and more stories. Those are just fun ones. Um, I ask myself, why do I have those experiences when I fly on airplanes? And, um, and I came to a very uncomfortable answer. I said, I have those experiences on airplanes because circumstances force me to have them. Because I am captive to the circumstance. Right? I'm sitting there and, you know, I'm Theoretically, I'm an open guy. Theoretically, you know, I'm compassionate and, you know, I do ministry and stuff like that. But why it happens in airplanes is because it's like, <sighs> all right, you know, the, uh, the guy's not proud of killing people uh, or uh, this, this chick is, uh, you know, a stripper and she's about to drown her sorrows in debauchery. Wonder what she really needs. I mean, you have to minister, right? And you have time, and you're sitting right there. There's nothing you can do. You are caught. You have to do it. And if I'm caught, then suddenly I'm willing. You know? But I say it's an uncomfortable realization because I should be having those experiences all the time, right? Even in the moments in which I'm not trapped, in which I don't have to have them. I'm sure all the moments are still there. It's just that I'm not, I'm not in the proper attitude. Uh, what is the proper attitude? Well, I think it's actually the attitude of worship. I think it's celebrating the overwhelming and transcendent nature of God at all times. And if I'm constantly overwhelmed by God and I sit down you know, uh, on the bus or I'm walking through the shopping aisle. I just got to believe that I'll find more of those opportunities, don't you? If I were a decent worshiper, I think I'd be a better minister. That's what I'm saying. That seemed to be how Jesus planned it. Be overwhelmed, and then you'll overcome everything. Be overwhelmed, and then you'll change the world. Are you up for it? Yeah? All right. Let's pray. I'm grieved, Lord, uh, by my lack of worshipfulness in life and the lives that I have let uh, slip away 
because I wasn't forced to do anything about it. I pray, Lord, that you would make me a better worshiper so that I could be a more fruitful minister. I pray on behalf of this congregation, Lord, that you would overwhelm us in every bit of our life. Be truly dousing. Be more God than we are used to. Right again, Lord, be dousing. Be more God than we're used to, even in this moment. More, Lord. More, Lord. I think uh, we're willing, Lord. I think we're willing, not quite overwhelmed, but willing to be overwhelmed. So let it come, Lord. Uh, let, the, let the wave hit and take us for a tumble. It will all be goodness to our souls. We are willing to be overwhelmed, Lord. We're willing to be overwhelmed at church. We're willing to be overwhelmed in our private times. We're willing to be overwhelmed in our families at home, we're willing to be overwhelmed on the job and at school and in the market and behind the wheel for that matter. We're willing to be overwhelmed. In Jesus' name.